Jesus, we pray your presence over our kids and uh, your presence over our servants, that you would lead them to you as you do that with us this morning. Lift up your name, Jesus. Uh, We love you, and we want to draw nearer and nearer to you so that you would be glorified in this space. We would encounter you. Let everyone encounter your presence this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, you kids have fun. Um, What we're going to start off again, like we did last week, is a missional moment. If you weren't here last week, a missional moment is uh, basically uh, another way we want to spur us on to good works and good deeds throughout the week and encourage our faith through hearing a normal, everyday folk who is depending and abiding in Jesus in everyday life and being used by Jesus in everyday kind of stuff. And the point of this is not so that you write down a list of to-dos to do exactly like what you're hearing. It's so that you get encouraged that Jesus is actually alive and he is in you and wants to do stuff through you. So we have Don Cook here, who's a friend, a brother in the elder team and a retired job. We're empty, nest, empty nester, uh, but not, you said, but not tired, retired. That's nice. Is that a line? I like that. He's retired, but not tired. Oh yeah, here you go. Here we go. I said the line for you, so you don't have to repeat it. <laughs> Hi. Is that working? Good. Great. Well, yeah, I, I was just asked to share a little bit about how Bunny and I uh, try to serve our neighbors uh, over the years. So we came, uh, a dozen years ago, we came from a mega church uh, way up in Redmond where we were both uh, shepherding people. And uh, it was a whole different animal there where, of course, the big deal was invite the people to the church. So we landed uh, down here downtown, early Soma, and the message there was, you are the church, uh, so go be the church. And it, it just, it, it won our hearts right away. We were, we were trying to figure out what was next in our life, and that is what we wanted, was to be the church and go be the church. So we, uh, we moved down here to, uh, to Proctor Street, just around the corner there, and uh, uh, we moved in on a very... January, icy day, and I can still see uh, myself having breakfast on Monday morning, uh, and I saw this car going back and forth in our driveway, and I said, he's in trouble. I get to serve my neighbor. So I just remember putting on clothes and charging out there, and he was just having trouble getting out to the street. So I helped him. That night, after dinner, I hear some more noise, and somebody's chipping the ice. Yes! So I charged out again, and I met, uh, I met the, the, the other man next door. And anyway, that was the beginning. We were trying to figure out, uh, so how do we meet these neighbors? Hmm. And it came to us, let's, let's have like a, invite them to our house. It's typically, you know, somebody comes over, welcome to our neighborhood, here's a piece of pie or something, whatever they do. But uh, this was, uh, we sort of reversed it, and so we came up with the idea, this is, This is not a brag thing. This is say, let's get doing this kind of stuff. It's not that hard. So we made a little poster, and we started knocking on doors near our home and said, hey, we're having a a spring celebration. Love you to come. 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We skipped Sunday because we figured, calculated the best time for people who aren't doing anything is Sunday morning. That that was a guess. Uh, So... We had about 10, 12 people come that day. Uh, I think we fed them all that first time, and we continued that in the next basically dozen years. And after a while, people started saying, hey, I'll do it. So we went to other people's homes, and uh, I, think, I think it was probably 25 sets of neighbors 
who showed up in our home and somebody or somebody else's home. Uh, for the first year, somebody said, don't give thanks for the food. It's too religious. I said, gotcha. Second year, it's like nuts. We're going to honor Jesus a little bit anyway. So after a while, they just got the clue. They didn't even catch, okay, let's wander into the kitchen. We're all going to hold hands, and we're going to pray for the food. No. Uh, but anyway, we just got to uh, meet people in, in mass and then meet them uh, two by two or whatever it was. And got into their homes and got into their lives and got chances to just tell them a little bit about or a lot about Jesus. We still got a couple of guys down the street who uh, have come over here for a couple of meals. They love Bunny's meals. Who doesn't? And uh, um, just just sharing that. So I, there's a there's a scripture up here. There it is. Um, so here we are now living uh, uh, with a bunch of old people, mostly, a little village of about 30-plus condos. It's a little different animal, but we're just trying to be friends. So I walk a lot, and I would just walk around the neighborhood, and whoever's loose, Don's going to say hi, and here's the deal. I'm, I'm here to encourage you to be a follower of Jesus and a lover of people. Uh, so let's read this passage, and I'll finish up in a second. Let's read together. Ready? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So, as we know, Jesus spent about a thousand days hanging out with people. A lot of people who didn't even like him. Uh, but he healed a lot of people. That helped. And he, he brought the message. And he sent out his men, two by two, uh, to all sorts of, I mean, they had never done this before. They were fisher guys or whatever they were. Um, so, uh, the encouragement is, for you right now, if you're willing, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Lord, you could ask, I will do your will. And would you, would you send me uh, someone or help me to reach someone who, who I could just talk with? See, here's the deal. You ask people their story. This is nothing new here. Jesus was always saying, what's the deal? What, what, what do you want? And, of course, their story was short. I'm, I got health issues. I don't know if the, if the gospel is probably pretty abbreviated. They probably told a long story. Remember the woman with the 12 years of issues? And she, it says in the Bible, he, she told him all his story. I think they were hanging out there for an hour, the whole crowd listening. And then Jesus, of course, healed her. Uh, people got a story to tell. Uh, people aren't interested in me. They're maybe not interested in you, but they're interested in themselves. And a lot of people have never had anybody who loves them enough to say, uh, well, tell me about yourself, or maybe it's a specific question. Anyway, that's my encouragement today that's is awesome. um, love your neighbor. That's awesome. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. <laughs> that was a little bit of a mic drop. I like that. You kind of love your neighbor. Boom. That was good. 
But uh, no, I, I appreciate the, uh, I mean, I think about my wife's story that came up and shared last week and uh, what Don just shared. You're not hearing anything that's very, um, uh, I don't know, over-romanticized and sexy or like you're not seeing these big spectacular like spiritual moments happen necessarily where big healings are taking place or a vast amount of people are getting saved and, 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 and yet there's, it's worthy to clap and praise Jesus. Because we're actually obeying Jesus. And that's actually a big deal. Like hearing Jesus and obeying him with our life is a big deal. And we need to celebrate that. You need to celebrate that in your missional communities. You need to celebrate that in your own life. Like, wow, I'm like learning how to follow Jesus and obey Jesus. Praise God. Praise be to God. Because anything Don had to say up here or my wife shared last week, it's because of Jesus in them, as they would say if they were up here, as they did say, as he just said. And so, so we need to be hearing this stuff, and we need to be going, Jesus, what do you want to do with me? Jesus, what do you want to do with our missional community for your name's sake? Because he wants to do stuff, as Don shared. So, so we're on our second week of uh, our Soma Identity, the super just really short uh, three-week uh, kind of mini-series. Um, which we wanted to do because we are transitioning uh, from this gathering space to a whole new gathering space. We just want to remind us, hey, what is our vision mission? What are we about as a church? And just get clear about that just in a move. And last week I talked about the gospel, and I talked about how the gospel is the foundation of our identity. And the gospel is this really big story that we see in the entire Bible. The gospel is a story where God is on the move, and he's rescuing and calling us to join in him with what he is doing. He wants to actually, we talked about last week, saturate the world with his presence, but through his people. And uh, we, so we said the church is God's ordained means through which Jesus will accomplish his mission and vision. So he wants to use everyday people like us, like, like Don, like Lisa, like Randy, like John, like Bill, like Bob, like Susan, like Kathy. I don't know what all your names are. He wants to use us, everyday normal people, like Don said, he's retired, but he's not tired. But another way to say it, too, he's, he's, not, he's not retired when it, when it comes to the kingdom. He's at work with Jesus. He worked with Jesus in his, whatever, you know, in, throughout his, his vocations and his job uh, uh, in his younger years. He did it with Jesus, and now he's still working with Jesus in the life he's in in this neighborhood and what God's called him to as an as a, as a as a unpaid elder with us. He's doing the work of Jesus. He's still doing kingdom work. And so what does that look like for us? We talked about that last week, that we are saved into a purpose. Every one of us, everyday people, we're saved into a purpose. And that's the reason why we talk to, why we gather together. We, we gather to learn how to abide in Jesus so we can learn how to give our lives to him and, 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 and figure out how do we structure our days because we get practical. Abiding in Jesus leads to being practical. How do we structure our days to see Jesus fill this space that he brings us into? What does it look like to, to fill neighborhoods and our workplace, Tacoma, the, the, the world? What does it look like for him to fill it up um, using us, with us? But for Jesus, we talked about last week, to be known through us, we have to actually encounter Jesus. If you want Jesus to be made known through you, you have to encounter him. You have to meet Jesus. You have to know Jesus. Good news of Jesus Christ must first do a changing work in you. You have to be transformed in him. So we talked last week, you have to know the gospel. You have to know the good news about Jesus, that the gospel is the power for salvation to everyone who believes. You must know it for yourself. 
And we, we worked through that and we talked about that. Because if we know it, then we're going to be growing in the love and our affections for Jesus. We're going to be growing in love for other people. But it, if we have no love for Jesus and we have no love for other people, or we never really grow in love for Jesus, we never really grow in love for other people, we don't know the gospel. We talked about that last week. Because the gospel isn't just merely a religion that we dabble with. That we kind of pick apart and we kind of just... The, the gospel is this proclamation about the presence of Jesus. It's, it's, it's about a person. We're not talking about a religion. Jesus had a lot of things to say about that thinking. He, he, he came as a person. God came to us as a person. And so when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth who died and rose again and who's alive today. And he wants to be encountered. Will you follow him? Will you submit to him? Will you receive his forgiveness for your sins that you've committed against the holy God? Because he wants to unite himself to you. He wants a relationship with you. Jesus, through faith, his, we talked about his life, his death, his resurrection. It brings us into this intimate relationship with God. We once were separated from God, but the church is now united to him in Jesus Christ. We have this union. And so that's what we talked about last week, the gospel. It's the foundation of our identity. Now today, this morning, we're going to talk about the identity. And I'm really going to focus on the identity of our union with Christ. We are one with him, therefore we're one with God. I just want to, I'm going to start off with, with prayer right now for myself and for us as I go into this. And I just want to say, Jesus, once again, it's so easy for me to get caught up in your presence as I'm singing and then come up on here and look at faces and just kind of try to perform and, and try to put on a show um, and do a song and dance and to figure out what people want to hear or worry about what people are thinking. And I just want to say right now, Jesus, it's you. It's all about you. I pray for your weight and glory to be so thick in this space right now. People would just see you high and lift it up. I pray that people here right now that are maybe distracted by other thoughts or feelings that are hindering them from hearing your message or receiving your presence, more importantly, that you would awaken hearts and minds right now to see you. I pray hurts and pains or people kind of numbed out. Jesus, I pray that you would raise their gaze, our gaze right now on you and see how beautiful you are how worth it you are, how real you really are, that we're not talking about a fairy tale. We're not here to play church and pretend. We're here to meet with you, the living God who busted out of the grave, who broke the chains of sin that we are so easily enslaved to. And Jesus, I just want to declare and thank you for breaking so many chains that have ensnared me to not seeing you and not looking to you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us have eyes of faith to see how real and present and powerful and loving you are and how accessible and available you are to us right now. That you are near, that you are close, that you want to draw everyone here 
to enjoy you and be loved by you. Jesus, come, be poured out right now. Let us not go through the motions. Be lifted up, Jesus. Do a work. Put to death the fear of man, Lord. Let us be free. Amen. We're talking about identity. Identity is how we see ourselves, and it's really based on who or what we, we look to for our worth and our significance. That's what, I, that's what identity is. If you're writing a note, what's identity? It's who we look to or what we look to for our worth, what we look to for our significance. That tells us who we are, how you view yourself. And God has always been working to save a people for his very own possession. 1 Peter 2.9 says that. And throughout the Bible, there are many different ways God identifies his people to himself. And as covenant new believers, God makes our identity 100% founded on his son, Jesus. It's all based on, on him. Romans 6, our passage that I'd love for you to write down, meditate on this week, or think about, says, uh, verses 4 through 5, it says this about our identity. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is Jesus' death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in his death like his. That means when he died to sin, we die to sin. We shall certainly be united with him to a resurrection like his. There's no more sin in him. He has the, he's the power of God. We too are united to that same power to newness of life. We are attached. We are connected to Jesus. What's true of Jesus is true of us. And what's true of us is what's true of Jesus. Because what's true of us is Jesus. Jesus in us, and we are in Jesus. God intended for everything we do to come out of our being with Jesus. Not just what we know about what Jesus has done in our past, but that would inform us in such a way where we're actually being with him. So our doing would come out of our being with Christ because he's real. He wants a real relationship with us. So our loving, whether it's loving your neighbor or your coworker or your friend, or as Jesus says, even your enemies, or it's forgiving others, or looking to seek forgiveness because of wrongs that you've done to others, praying for others, all of that comes from, it's meant to come out of your being with him. Jesus is in you. You're walking with him, talking with him, and that's where our doing comes from. It comes from Christ, all he is, from, from all he's done and all he is doing currently with us. It's all from Christ. Everything. And the question we have to ask is, is that true in our life? Is that true in your life? Is that true in my life? I have to ask myself that. And the truth is, there are areas in our life where it's not true. We talked about that last week. There's unbelief. I know we're believers, but there's unbelief in our believing. Well, I don't want to say we are unbelievers. There's some of you here that are probably not unbelievers. I don't know. But we, those of us who are unbelievers, even us, we struggle with unbelief. There's unbelieving. And there's areas where we are struggling with this stuff. Our worth, where we find our worth and significance, where it's not in our relationship with God, but in other things we do. And that's the world's paradigm. The world's paradigm believes that it is our doing which results in our being. And that's a big deal. The world 
tells us we are what we do. We are what we do. What we do, it gives us our worth. It gives us our significance. How often when we meet someone, quickly we ask, so what do you do? So what's your job? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. So don't like, oh man, I can't say that anymore. That's not my purpose in saying that. I'm just saying it's a very much a part of our culture. It's really culture shaping. And what's interesting, when you ask someone what you do and what they say, it's interesting how it might change depending on what they actually say. If their job is really prestigious in society or if it's not that big of a deal. It's very interesting how we're more inclined to maybe be a little bit more respectful, pay attention than someone else. I mean, it's, it's stuff to pay attention to. It's just, it's culture. What we do tends to give us our worth and significance. That's what our world says. That's why our identity can get so wrapped up in things we do. We can say, at a, even at a, at a subconscious level, I am what I do. That, and that might be, I am what I do. I, it might be in really good things like being a loving mom. Or I am a great business person. Or I am a savvy, risk-taking entrepreneur. Or I am a smart student. Or I am a, an unfailing friend. Or I am a faithful spouse or I am a protector, or I am one who sacrifices for others, or I'm a strong leader, or I'm a creative artist. I am what I do. We can get really wrapped up into that. Or I am what people say about me. You live for people to encourage you or tell you good things about you. For someone to tell you how good of a worker and employee you are, or at what you're, you're, how good you are at your vocation, or for someone to tell you that, you are a very loving person, and you're super sweet, and you're super kind. Like, we can get wrapped up into believing, I am what people say about me. Or, I am what I have, having power, or influence, or maybe it's having a spouse, or it's having a boyfriend, or having a girlfriend, or it's having pl enough money, or plenty of money, I don't know, either one of those, or having friends, or having a house or a nice car or nice things, but you're, you, you can find yourself wrapping your identity around this idea, I am what I have. That's my significance, that's where my worth comes from, and we can tend to define ourselves in these ways. But these are fake identities. They're not real identities. The world is wrong. We don't realize we put a lot of energy into upholding these false identities until we actually lose them. And that's what's deceiving about these little suckers. We don't realize we place our identity in the wrong stuff until something happens like we lose it. And all of a sudden, we get crushed. The false identities, I just to share with you guys, that I can struggle with that are front and center with me at times, is uh, where I struggle with my personal worth around, are one of those is, is being a dad. Being a dad is one of those. There are times that I can struggle with, with um, getting angry and getting mad at one of my kids um, and helping them with their homework. There are some times when my daughter is working on homework and I'm trying to help her out with her math that there's either something she's doing or not doing that, to my sadness, I can get so angry. And in my tone and in my demeanor, it's communicating, dad's not happy, dad's really angry. And it hurts my, my daughter. And it's super painful when it happens. 
And this is, just, I'm just being real. Like, it's really, really hard. And in those moments, I, even though I'm very super quick to apologize, I walk away with a shadow of condemnation. It's just like, wow, how could I do that? And I'm just stuck in, and I can, I can get, I can stay in shame for a little while. Or I want to hide, or then I have thoughts, I'm so inadequate, I'm, I'm so inadequate as a dad. What the heck am I thinking trying to do this dad thing? I'm a joke. I'm a joke. And I just start having those thoughts in my head. I can't be a good dad. Or I get super guilty, and I got, I got to try way harder, and I try to just muster things up, and try to get really good dad, you know, best dad award type of thing. And I just run myself to the ground and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking to God. God's not in that moment, Okay? At times. So that, that's just something I want to bring up. Another time it can happen, and I'm just talking about struggles right now. My work, right? I re- I'll never forget the story, and I've shared this before in the past, but it's been a while, so I'm doing it again. But when I went from being a ranger, an officer in, in ranger battalion, to <laughs> working a couple different jobs and being a student, was so painful, and I didn't realize it till one day, as I was living with my brother in his apartment with his new family, and I had my little room, and I was taking apart my boxes, and I came across my uniform with my awards and accolades, and I just started bawling, bawling. I was like, why am I crying? I'm like a mess holding on to this uniform. It's because I, was, I didn't know who I was in that moment. I, who, I was like, who am I? I remember I was respected. I had authority, I had privilege, I felt like I was doing something, I was protecting, I was serving, I was using my abilities in these really awesome ways that were respected by a lot of people. No more. I'm a student that works these different jobs. And for me in that moment, I came to realize one was better than the other. The world, I was so bought into the world in that moment, I had no idea. And I struggled with so much. I was so embarrassed. Oh, man. And then I felt a lot of fear. Like, God, are you punishing me? You must be punishing me. I I think I made a mistake. Why did I get out? Look what's happening in my life. No one respects me. You know, like, so me, 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 me. God, look at me. What am I doing? You must have made a mistake. Do you hate me, God? God wasn't even in any of that. It was just me. And and to be honest with you, that work struggle stuff, identity struggle stuff, still today, as a pastor, when I feel like I'm not doing well, or if I'm if I'm talking to some pastor that has big numbers, big plans, big church, big big everything, it's it's funny how sometimes I can just feel really quick inadequate, like oh man, I'm so not a good pastor, oh man, or like. I gotta, I'm got i going to buck up now. Now I'm really going to start working hard. i got to get to work. i got to figure out a better strategy. i got to figure a bigger plan. we got to get bigger, better, faster now. Those feelings come up, right? It's America, right? Bigger, better, faster. Let's do it. But it's there, and I think it's there. Enough. we got to pay attention to it. So that's why I'm trying to just be vulnerable here, like, wow, like, what is that? And I'm freaking out in the moment. It's happening subconsciously, and then I'm, but now I'm being aware of it. I'm like, whoa, how does that, that's in me i got to do something with that or it's going to lead me. I'm going to be led out of fear and not with Jesus because I'm not talking to Jesus about it sometimes. I just start getting to work for Jesus instead of talking to Jesus about my struggles. And we do that. And if we don't start paying attention to what's driving us, 
not just doing the Christian niceties, oh, I know God's in control, but what's going on inside of you? Where are you? There's unbelief so I can actually give it to Jesus and talk to him about it so I can be led by him. But a lot of times we're not paying attention to that. We're being driven by our fear, by our identity struggles. I can do it with deep relationships, whether a dear friend or my, especially my wife. Some of the, like I talked about last week, Saturday nights, man, when it comes close to Sunday, I think all hell tends to break loose in our homes. I'm convinced the devil hates Sundays, and so he's out to get us on Saturdays and Sunday early mornings. I mean, there's a lot of fights I feel like happens with spouses or friends or whatever, you know. I, maybe it's just me and my wife, but um, you guys are a bunch of fakers, man. No, <laughs> no but... Um, uh, there's been a couple times, uh, especially earlier on when I was doing this role, um, where we got into a, you know, a heated argument in the evening where I slept on the couch downstairs because <laughs> I was right. She was wrong, so I was, so I was trying to be the bigger man. <laughs> and I can't tell you, sitting on that couch, being so filled with condemnation and fear. Like, how can I show up here? How can I get up on stage and preach? There's no way I am I am not a pastor. I can't do this. I am pathetic. And, and those lies just coming in, I'm sitting in that. I'm not talking to God because I'm thinking God's this and he doesn't even like me. Because I can't even handle my marriage well. What am I going to do? Come up on stage and choose? Oh, I don't even want to go too much into the good stuff. We'll, cut, we'll get to that later. But, but it's crazy how much my righteousness in that moment is based on me and not on Jesus. As if I'm coming up here based on my righteousness to impart something to you? That's ridiculous. I got nothing, even when I'm good with my wife. When, when things are going well with my wife, and what do I, like, that's sick. What do I got to give you, filthy rags? I want you to get the righteousness of Christ. My righteousness sucks. It's filthy rags to him. But his, oh my goodness, his righteousness is eternal. And it makes you new. And it heals, and it restores, and it touches you deep down in your soul and fills you with love. I want to give that. But when I'm in that condemnation place, it's bad. And I've, I've been there. So deep relationships. So I, I just want to say this. Like, what is it for you? I hope this isn't Randy time where we're now listening to Randy's issues, and we're going to pray for Randy today. And, oh, man, Randy is so not good with Jesus. Man, we need to be praying for our Pastor Randy. He's not good. No, I, and I hope that's not what's happening. I hope you guys are wrestling. And I, I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. Like, what are the things that you're getting entangled into? What are the identity struggles you have in your walk with Jesus? What do you tend to find yourself wrapping your identity around? Maybe it's being a really good Christian. Maybe it is a deep relationship. Maybe it's something with your job like I shared. What is it for you that Jesus is wanting to get your attention with? And really, we see this, and I, and I want you to think about that because we're going to be praying about that, okay? I'm not doing that because I'm trying to, I, we're here to wrestle with Jesus and walk with him and encounter him. So what is that for you? Because at the end, I really want us to pray about this. But we can trace this all the way back to the garden. In the beginning, God created man and woman in his own image and likeness. And after he finished his work of creating, he said, he said it was very good, and then he rested, which is another way of saying God was satisfied with what he created, how he created, he was, he was satisfied. And however, we see in the story, the evil one comes along, and he convinces Eve and Adam, who is definitely there with her, that God's word was a lie, and his work was not sufficient. It was insufficient work. And he told her that if she ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she would 
become like God. But we all know that that's a lie. Because God already made her and Adam in God's likeness. They're already made as image bearers of God. But we know in the story that she believed the lie that she was not made in God's likeness and that she could make herself like God through what? Her own works. Not God's work. Now it's her works. She can make herself like God. So she took the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her, and he also ate it. And that was the beginning of works-based righteousness. It comes by our doing, that what we do makes us who we are. Instead of letting who God says we are and who God made us to be lead our behavior, we let our behavior tell us who we are. That's where the world got it from. We see it right there in the story. And so, and what does that lead to? It's the stuff I already talked about. It leads to shame. It leads to hiding. It leads to feeling inadequate. It leads to guilty, feeling like we're never doing enough. You're never being a good enough dad. You're never being a good enough mom. You're never being a good enough employee. You're never making enough. You're never working hard enough. It leads to fear. You're always, you're afraid of being punished. You're afraid of what people might think of you. It leads to that stuff. However, the good news is there is a better way. Do we want the better way? You want the better I want the better way. The gospel doesn't start with you. The gospel doesn't start with me. The gospel starts with God. That's really, really good news. And it's because it doesn't start with what we do. It starts with God's being, which we come to know through God's doing. And his ultimate doing that makes the diff- all the difference in the world for us is the sending of Jesus, his son. Ultimately, what he did in and through Jesus. And our being is the result of God's doing. It's, what God ha- it's who God is and what he's done. That's where our being comes from. And like God, our doing flows out of our being. So we, are, so we do what we are. Our doing comes out of our being in light of who God is and what he's done. And we can apply this, as many of us know, have been at Soma, to every biblical command in our daily life by regularly answering these four questions. Who is God? What does God do? And ultimately, and through Jesus, who are we? And what do we do? And it goes in that flow. And you see it throughout the Bible. That's what's key, that flow. Who is God? That's You think of the character in nature as the Father, Son, and Spirit. What does God do ultimately in and through Jesus? The reason why it's ultimately in Jesus, Jesus is the hero. He is the main character through the whole Bible, even the Old Testament. At the end of Luke, Jesus makes that clear. The law and the prophets testify and all point to him. He is the hero. And so that's why it's ultimately about what God's done in and through Jesus. And who we are, that's the big whammy for today. That's what we're talking about, our identity. Because of the gospel, like we've been saying, we are united to Jesus. Paul's dominant descriptor of a new relationship with Jesus, that's why he uses this phrase that he uses all over his letters, and it's so easy to overlook. He uses the phrase, in him, talking about in Jesus, over and over and over again. If you haven't looked at it, look it up, look through your Bibles, it's all over the place. Being in Jesus means that we are identified with Jesus, we're connected to him, in a sense, because who we are in terms of our relationship to God is totally defined and shaped by Jesus. Jesus, as the Bible says, he's our forerunner, he's our representative, he's our brother, he's the firstborn of a new creation. 
He is the one we are most like. It's Jesus. And like we read in Romans 6, we die to sin, we rise to new life. Ephesians 2, like I read last week, it says we're seated with Christ, which means we have access to the authority of Jesus. That's how tied to him we are. We have his authority on us. It's why one of the ways Jesus talks about relationship with him, he uses the metaphor of a vine and branches. We're connected to God through Jesus like branches are to a vine. Like that's how connected we are. You can read that in John 15. We're united with Christ through the person And this is a mystical working of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Our union with Jesus, it describes the very essence of who you are, who we are, in light of the gospel of Jesus. Okay? It's amazing news. So maybe I'll put it this way. Who we are, you want to know what's essential, is we got God. You have God. We have God. We have accessibility to God, the the creator of the stars, the creator of the heavens and earth, the one who is totally other than, where where Brittany was talking about the mercy seat, where there had to be a lot of bloodshed in the Israelite community. You step into the holy of holies with the holiness of God in the Israelite community, you're zapped. And we've seen that, that actually is talked about in Exodus, okay? It's a big deal. God's holiness is massive. He's so other than. It's crazy to get into his presence. And through Jesus, he's made a way where we can actually be one with the God who's other than, where we are, um, where God is totally accessible to us. We have this relationship that's flowing. And the relationship is one based on love and forgiveness and grace, where the Bible talks about grace and love being lavished on us, being lavished on you, Ephesians says. He's constantly pouring it out over us. The relationship with God, it's not like a Facebook relationship, okay? Like, if you want to know me, you don't look at my Facebook. If you want to know me, we have conversation. We're sitting in a living room. We're having eye contact. We're having conversations that are deep and meaningful about all my life, right? What's going on? Well, I just want to tell you God's relationship with you because of the union is a face-to-face eye contact where he's wanting to love you. He's wanting to be exuberant with his love for you. Like, that's a big deal. That's who you are. You're someone who has God with you, loving you. Is that good news? His presence, is that good news to you? Because some of you, we say, oh, I know he died for me and God loves me. But I think some of us don't, we, but then we go, but where is he? I don't hear him. I don't, I don't see him. I don't, I, don't, I don't get all this, this stuff Randy talks about on stage. He's always here. He's always here. Yeah, he, he looks like he's always talking about it. I don't hear it. I don't see it. I know he loves me. I know he died for me. But I don't see him. I don't, I don't believe he's here. It's hard for me to see that. And I want to say on the one hand, I get it. That's hard. And, and I want you to know. I get it personally. I just described in my struggles. When I'm in a place of falling into my false identities, I struggle with that. But the Father wanted to make it so clear that God's presence is so near that he gave his only son to die for you and me on on, on our behalf. Like, he loves you so much, he gave his only son to die for you. That has to do something. And if it doesn't, I pray it does, because that's massive. That's the thing we get to go back to that says, God, I don't get it. I don't see you, but you died for me. Help me. 
help me draw near to you because you've drawn near to me. That's a really good prayer to pray if you're in that place. And I'll get into that in a second, why if we don't even do that kind of prayer and do that kind of stepping in with God, it's going to be easy to keep living our life not feeling God's close, no matter how much we might hear God died for you. But I want to say this first. Nothing changes our union with Jesus if we're in him. Nothing changes that. What we do does not change what is true of God. Theologians call that the indicatives. What's true, it leads us to the imperatives, what we do. There's nothing. What, what is true of God and what God has done and who we are, it doesn't change even in our mess-ups, okay? What's true of God and what God does to us, it's true. You can't mess that up if you're his child, if you're really his. And this is why, like, 1 Corinthians he starts off speaking to a church that, he's, that, 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 that he was, um, just had apostolic authority over. He starts off calling them saints, right? Holy ones of God. He calls them saints, which is crazy when you read the letter because he gets right into, not too long from that, how messed up they are. They're doing a really bad job at loving one another. They're horrible. They're actually dividing over crazy stuff. They're just hating on each other, thinking one's better than the other, comparing each other. We don't know nothing about that, but they're doing all that stuff. And what does he do? He starts off with calling them saints. They're the holy ones of God. What is that? Because he's talking to them about their position in Christ. He's seeing them with the eyes of faith. And I can't imagine how hard that is for Paul. He's getting all this news that isn't good about this church. And so I can imagine in the letter, he probably had to rewrite it a couple of times because maybe he didn't start off a saint. And maybe Jesus had to do some work in his heart and say, okay, remember who you are. Remember that I died for you, Paul, that I love you. You're a saint, not because of what you do, but because of who I am. Christ and what God can do with them because they're in Christ. Whew, that's a game changer in how we relate to each other, by the way. I remember even to, to I'm thinking about the outsiders, the outside world, there was a, a young man i know known when he, in his early years, he's now older, lives in Tacoma still, ran into him at a store. He's just not doing well, far from God, in drugs, and just, just not looking good. And I remember just, all I felt was pity. And, and Jesus did this little cool correction in the moment when, he was, when I was even in his presence, all this is happening between me and God as I'm talking to this young man. And he just kind of gave me eyes of faith and just said, what if this is like, like going to be like an apostle Paul one day? He's going to be planting churches and raising up people in my faith. You just can't see it now, but what if you saw me in him? Like, what could, be, what could happen with this guy? And man, it just changed my posture, my demeanor towards him, and just how I looked at him and how I talked to him. It wasn't just pity. I still felt sad because he wasn't in a good place, but man, there was just more like life in me as I was talking to him, more warmth, more hopefulness. Like, well, what, what might God, God might want to do with this young man? I'm not going to give up. I want to pray. I want to lean in on this. Um, I wasn't planning on going there. There's a side note, but, but just this idea, this idea of, like, being positioned in Christ, we're united in him. That doesn't change it. Like, God, when we're actually really in him, it's a big deal. But it's really hard for us to believe God views us like that, especially in our mess. And I think it's hard to view God like that towards us in our mess because I think we tend to project our limitations on God. And maybe that's why I brought that little side note because maybe it wasn't. Maybe it is hard for us to look at each other like new creation, even in our family at times. 
because we get frustrated with messy stuff. When mess comes our way, we don't like it. But I just want to tell you, God's way bigger and way more gracious than you or I. Way more loving, way more forgiving, way more powerful, way more enduring, way more steadfast. Let's not limit him. But here's the thing I want to say. And as time is slipping away, here's the thing I want to say. Besides our doing doesn't change our union, that's our position with God always. If we're, if we're his, we can't ever mess it up. I want to say this, but, but, this is really key here. Don't sleep on me here. I can either commune with Jesus in my union with God in him, or I can disengage. I can either commune with that union, or I can disengage and actually hurt our relationship. I think sometimes we can get up here preaching, you'll never lose it, you have it. But I want to tell you something, there's something that can really go right and get, you can get really hurt. And, and your intimacy with God get really damaged and really hindered. And I just want to be honest with that. I want you guys to know that. You, here's how you can disengage. When I'm in the condemned shadow after the wake of not being nice to my daughter and feeling inadequate, if I stay in that place where I just, God's not near. God's at an arm's length distance. He's not happy with me. I, I can sometimes feel like I'm on, I'm on the father's bad side right now. I'm in timeout, right? I'm in the bad corner with dad because I messed up with my daughter. And I mean, sometimes I can even feel like, man, come on, Randy, I've forgiven you. You preach on my forgiveness and grace. Why could you not be gracious? Isn't that weird? Any of you hear God like that sometimes? Like, you know, I've forgiven you. Why did you treat that person like that? Da, 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 da. Like, I can kind of, and, and that puts me in a place of anxious, hiding, angry, overwhelmed. It actually doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't help me with my daughter. It doesn't help me with other people. And what's amazing is, yeah, I actually don't lose my union and my access with God. Because it's always true in light of Christ. It's true because of Christ's holiness. It's true, true because of Christ's love and his righteousness. That I always have access with the Father. Always true. But the sad thing is, is if I stay in a place disengaged from God, and I stay in that place, I actually feel like God's far from me. I don't feel like God's near. And I'm living in a relationship where God's over there and I'm here. Yeah, I know Christ died for me, but, but yeah, I'm not really feeling He's over there. And I've been in that. There's been struggles of that because I'm just not happy about what I did, and it's not good enough. And what that does is that puts us in a place where we have no love to give to other people. We have no grace. We have no forgiveness. We have no care we can give to other people. We, we, it, it leaves us in that. But when we commune with God... And we actually walk in and step into the union we have available to us. And that looks like listening to his voice and him saying, son, I, 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 I do have a better way to go about this. I know you're feeling really bad. And I'm sad too that that happened. But I want you to know I love you. I understand you. I get you. I care about you. I forgive you. Will you come to me? I will not forsake you, Randy. I will not leave you. My grace is actually really sufficient. I want to walk with you even in that pain, that anger you feel about yourself and what you did. I, can you give that? Can I walk with you in that? Because I do love you. My love runs that deep. 
And you know, I know what that does. It brings peace. It brings calmness because he's actually with me in it. He assures me he's still there. And you know what that does? That produces the love my daughter needs. That produces the change God wants to do. Do you guys get me on that? That's huge. If I disengage dad and, and, and when I'm struggling with work, oh man, am I, am I pleasing these guys enough? Are they happy with me and my performance? Am I doing good enough? Or am I working hard enough? Guys, I got, like I already said, I got nothing for you. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my best works because I'm just trying to make you happy. And I'm stuck in a place of just death. It's not good. Even though I, yeah, I know truths about God, he's still over there. Because God wants intimacy. He actually wants to commune with us. And it's sad that though you might be united to him, you disengage from him. And it's hindering your intimacy. And it's very grievous. And it makes me sad when I walk into it. And that's why I, I say this with passion. It's like, I want us as a church to wake up so we don't give in to the schemes of the enemy and gives in to the lies of our flesh. That says God is someone we can't commune with right now, even in our mess. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I can take all my stuff from my work, all my stuff from my fears and my relationships and say, and hear him say, I am with you. I love you. I'm for you. I'm not against you, Randy. That's so sweet and nurturing and nourishing to the soul. Randy, I know you might feel misunderstood, but I understand you. Wow. Have you ever heard God say that? Have you ever asked him? Have you ever went to him with your problems and just laid it before him, weep before him? I'll tell you this, when we do that, guys, it's going to actually lead us to be a kind of family where we're making disciples of Jesus. You want to know why? Because when we're communing with Jesus, not just lolling back and hanging back on, uh, with our union, though we're disengaged, when we're actually communing, when you make disciples, what you're really doing is just being you with Jesus and you're giving that away. And that's what people need. People just want the presence of Jesus in you and give that away. And a lot of you, including me, we don't think that's enough. We got to polish ourselves up. We got to polish our words up. We got to study more. We have to know more. We have to be more so that Christ might hopefully get glorified through us. Instead of just Christ in you and your weakness and brokenness, give that away. Let that be enough. So as we close here with our time, I mean, I'll even, go ahead and come up, Brady. I'll even be honest with you. I mean, even in this message as I was giving it and through this week, I've I've wrestled a ton. And and a lot of the wrestling was was sobering when Jesus was kind of like bringing me to a place of confession with him. Like, man, especially with this message on identity, which is something we've been very familiar with as a church in our church history, local, I'm talking about so much history. Am I going to say stuff pleasing to the people that have been here for a while or the people that have been hurt here? And how much I just, I can get so stuck on that stuff. And I come up here, I get afraid that I'm going to make somebody mad and I'm going to do something wrong. I'm just being honest, man. Like, and and how, how, how it's crazy how easy it is I can come up here and just kind of blow through all that wrestling and not talk to God about it and just, okay, let me perform for you guys. Hopefully it's enough. And it's sad. And I walk out of here totally unsatisfied, totally not in rest, and just like, man, just dead. Or I can go to God and be like, God, what you have for me is enough. 
what you're saying to me. It's enough. I want to get that away. And so the reason why I say that is I, I just believe that there's maybe things going on in your heart and in your life right now, identity struggles, whether it's any of the number of things that I shared. And what I'd like us to do is um, have time. Well, actually, we're going to spend just, man, my time is so way up. I'm so sorry. I want us to spend like 30, just spend 30 seconds just in silence. And I want you just to be with Jesus and have him point out anything in your life right now that you might be having an identity struggle with that Jesus is wanting to take from you. Or make you just be aware of so you know how to do battle with it in, throughout your week. So we're going to take that minute, uh, 30 seconds right now and just listen. Jesus, could you right now speak to your people? Thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, I just felt the Lord put on my heart, and I know we're, well, don't worry, we'll go right into communion after this, but I just want to take a second. If there's anyone here that has something in their mind and heart where they're like, man, I just, I feel like I, I want to break free from this. I, I kind of want a little bit of a breakthrough. I'm looking for a little bit of a breakthrough, or I just got some awareness on stuff. And I would just love prayer for that right now. Instead of doing the prayer on the side, I just I feel like I want to do this, and especially for the sake of time, and because God's just been working, drilling this in my heart, and I just feel like I have a lot of like, uh, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you got something where you're like, man, I would love prayer right now, I just I'm, I'm I would like to invite you just to stand up where you are, um, and just basically say, with, with your standing up, you're not doing anything other than saying like, you know what? Because we all need it, so it's not about like who's gonna stand up. It's just where you're at right now, and this might be the Spirit wanting you, and it might be no one. I don't, I, I'm okay with that. But um, if you're here and you, and you want to stand up, it's standing up is just saying, like, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting some prayer right now about this. I want to get some freedom in this identity struggle I got um, with putting it in whatever, some of the things I said or even some of the things I didn't say, and I, I'd like freedom in that uh, this morning. If that's you, I, I would love to pray over you right now. So if that's you, would you, would you stand up? All right, praise God. So uh, people sitting next to him, I'm going to pray for them, uh, but could you just lay hands on the people standing up if you see someone near you? If you don't, you can just stay there and pray with me. You don't have to get up, but um, lay just at least one person laying on a hand. All right, I'm going to pray. Just give me a second to, to listen. Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and earth. There's no name that's above your name. Your presence is our identity. We have been crucified with you. It is no longer we who live. It's you who live in us. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit for that truth to be poured out in my friends' hearts. Those that have stood up, I pray you'd pour that right now in their hearts. I pray fear would go away in Jesus' name. I pray shame would would run away in Jesus' name. I pray guilt would run fleeing in Jesus' name. There would be no shame. There would be no hiding. There would be no feelings of inadequacy. There would be no guilt. There would be no, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. There would be no, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what's to come. There would, that would be done away with in Jesus' name. Jesus, would you fill them right now with your love? Would they be so saturated and soaked with your identity? You clothe them with your righteousness. Head to toe, they're covered in Jesus' name. And I pray that as they wake up tomorrow, they would be quick to feel that, that identity struggle, that shame or that guilt or that fear, and they'd be like, in Jesus, I am with you. Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, help me. 
they do battle from here on out in a new way, with a new power, with your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for the courageous act of our friends, Lord. Oh, what a blessing. Would you, would you bless them and pour your grace on them in light of their humility? That's what your word says. When we're humble, your grace is poured out. Would you pour out your grace and have mercy on our friends? Bless them richly and protect the work that you're doing right now from the schemes of the enemy that wants to snatch stuff away. We rebuke that stuff and his lies in Jesus' name. Amen.